Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. New York uh, falls 132 to 115 to the Denver Nuggets. Third game in four nights as the West Coast swing is not going well for New York, Alex. But because of that, we're going to talk about more than just this game. Yeah, well, first we are going to talk about the stupid game and why Tom Thibodeau is doing a less than ideal job for the Knicks right now. An airing of grievances, if you will in the first segment but then we asked you guys for some mailbag questions which is always fun so we're going to do a little mini impromptu mailbag we'll talk about how much rj barrett and mitchell robinson might be in line to get paid this summer we'll talk about what mike miller might be able to do with this squad one of the question askers definitely knew what the vibe was going to be tonight and we'll talk about finishing up with some uh, OB dunk contest ideas to make things a little more fun. That's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code MBA or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy and we wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day we are now available on all platforms including on YouTube and you know that if you are seeing our gorgeous uh not so often smiling these days faces but still still worth tuning in we'll, we'll throw in a couple of smiles he is Alex Wolf the editor-in-chief of the best Knicks website out there the Strickland I'm Gavin Shaw a play-by-play broadcaster and the New York Knicks uh, once again fell on the road. Uh, third game in four nights. Second night of a back-to-back against the Denver Nuggets. Mentally and physically exhausting games against the Los Angeles Lakers and the Utah Jazz. In the rearview mirror, Alex, uh, the Knicks put up uh, at points a valiant effort. Did give up 84 points in the first half, which was the most the team has given up in a half since 1966. Ultimately, those efforts were not enough as they fall in Denver. Yeah, you talk about mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. Let's zero in on the physically a little bit for my first problem that I had with Tom Thibodeau in this game. R.J. Barrett, I understand that he is 21 years old. He is presumably in his physical prime, or at least, you know, in his physical prime relative to, you know, being spry, youthful, whatever you know, less injury prone, more likely or available to take on big minutes, whatever. And you know what? I don't blame Tibbs for a second for playing RJ Barrett, the 50 minutes that he played him in that overtime game against the Lakers. I don't even really blame him for playing him the 40, what was it? 43 minutes that he played him against the jazz in last night's game, because you know, it, it was a close game, mostly, up until the final few minutes when things kind of fell apart. But, you know, RJ was doing his thing, whatever. This game, he comes out after, again, 93 combined minutes for RJ in the last two games and plays him 35 minutes 
including down the stretch in a blowout with all other starters pulled except for RJ, who he felt the need to, I guess, punish for being young or something. I don't know what the whole rationale is there, but with 17 seconds left to go in a meaningless BS of a game that the Knicks were down at that point, I don't even freaking know, 15 points, 18 points, who cares? They were down enough that he shouldn't have been in the game at that point, and he was clearly exhausted from the word go, shot poorly, 7 of 19, everything was coming up short for him. His legs were clearly like very tired after those 93 minutes, and R.J. Barrett comes up lame, with what appeared to be a a sprained ankle, maybe. It was tough to actually see what happened. There wasn't a defined, like, ankle turn or anything, which makes it that much scarier, to be completely honest, because the injuries that look like nothing in the moment tend to sometimes be more severe. So we'll see what comes up. He he gave absolutely nothing in the post-game presser, because why would he, about what was going on with RJ? He was just like, oh, I don't know, the trainers are looking at him. All right, great, thanks for the info, buddy. I'm sick of it, man. I'm I, this. This was just. I mean, this game was full of bad decisions by Tibbs, but this is obviously the worst one. If this is anything serious to RJ, like God forbid, it's a, you know, if it came back and it's like, oh, it's a torn ACL or something. Not that I think it was a knee thing. They said it was ankle. Let's say it was like an Achilles injury or something like that. I, I would fire Tibbs tomorrow. As it stands, just for doing this today. I would put him on the hot seat as soon as this summer because what does he even bring to this team anymore? He's not – the guys aren't bought in. The defense gave up 82 points in the first half today, and I understand you're without Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel, but, like, come on. And then, you know, he, he, the players seem to be lost. You know, they don't seem to be buying into whatever he's got. He has no offensive scheme whatsoever, and it's – you know, the offense is painful to watch on many nights. I just – I'm done with him at this point, I think. I think this was kind of like we've had these discussions throughout this year so far, and it's kind of been like, well, but he won the coach of the year last year. He brought he brought something to this team last year. This year he's bringing nothing to the team, and quite frankly he's being a detriment actively to the team on pretty much every night. So rant over. I'm freaking – like the, this RJ this RJ injury, if it's severe, I, I, it's, I, I'm over the limit with Tibbs officially because this is this is just ridiculous. Yeah, so I guess I guess my my only I, I don't have a pushback on the RJ thing. I think it's insane. I think it, it's it's something. It's one of those one of those tipsy things that just you can see how he wears out his welcome in certain places. Right, like like Luol Deng is someone who could still be in the NBA theoretically, who's who is long gone after just being burned to a crisp by uh Tibbs's uh draconian uh minutes practices uh Tibbs's greatest crime against the Knicks might have been Joakim Noah and what was left of him when when the Knicks got him at that point right uh Derek Rose another guy who I mean maybe probably wouldn't be on the Knicks if he if he had still been MVP Rose but but another possible victim of, of Tibbs's practices and for everything the guy has learned over the years and I think genuinely like when we talked about this a lot last year, you give him credit for changing to some extent. Um, and even this year, it, it, it's this weird balance between like, you want to give him credit when he does adjust and, and look, he made adjustments to the next defense, right? Like over the first, what was it like 15 games of the year, they were one of the couple of worst defenses in the NBA. Then for a long stretch, they were one of the better defenses in the NBA. And now they seem like they're regressing again. Um, I want to give him the credit for the adjustment of the Knicks playing with a lot more pace over the last few games, even though that's something that seemed obvious and, and it's kind of inexplicable to me that he couldn't get that buy-in from Julius Randle 
like weeks ago, especially like I go back to, I think it was the first Nets game is whenever they played the Nets um, at Barclays and they looked so good offensively to start that game. And remember they took the Nets right down to the wire in that game. And it was because Julius was pushing off of everything. And I remember remarking saying like, yeah, more of that, like this unclogs um, like all the issues with the offense we've had all year, like all, all, all the, all this uh, constipation for lack of a better term, it, it was gone. Things look good. Things look fluid. And then it's like, they forgot about that. And it's like Tibbs was like tired of badgering Julius to do it. So he just sort of gave up. And now over the last four games, like all of a sudden there's this emphasis on pace again, and it looks really good. And maybe Tibbs's hesitancy to, to fully dive into it is what we've seen in each of these last three games where the Knicks play with that pace. They get off to these fantastic starts. They, they really falter in the second quarter when the bench comes in. In the third, they, they make a run to get back into it. And then inevitably, they're out of gas in the fourth. So maybe maybe that was the counter logic to it. But it feels like all the time, there are like these obvious changes to be made. And Tibbs, will, he'll take a step in the right direction, and then he'll take a step back. And, and to me, that's the story uh, of him as a coach right now. It, it, it's a guy who is unwilling to, to fully be uncomfortable, right? He, he's... He'd, he'd rather lose being comfortable than win being uncomfortable at points. And and that that is death if you're an NBA coach, right? You have to embrace the uncomfortability. You have to uh, embrace the adjustments. You have to embrace going away from your tendencies at certain points. And I think Tibbs, he's just, he's not willing to fully do that on a consistent basis. And the RJ injury is the is the latest example of that. So I started this off, Alex, thinking I was going to argue against you, but maybe maybe I just talked myself into your side. All I will say is I think he's done some really good stuff this year. I think the Knicks, honestly, their record isn't like significantly worse than their talent says it should be. I think I think they are about what they should be. Maybe they should be a little bit better, but there there are just some some real fundamental flaws that grade at you. And, and to your point, I mean this this is potentially the most damaging. The tendency to just overplay guys and, and, and inexplicably overplay guys when there's just no defensible reason to still have them out there. Yeah, I think I would push back too on the the talent level thing. Obviously, there's been some issues with the starting lineup and their chemistry and stuff, but we've seen versions of this team that have worked well together. And Tibbs just seems, to your point, to be so unwilling to step out of his comfort zone to try anything that he deems to be unusual or not fitting into his neat little boxes of like positions and lineups that it keeps continually shooting the Knicks in the foot. My, my last point that I'll say, and, and, you know, I'll just throw this briefly to you to react to, I guess is Julius Randall and our, or sorry, Julius Randall and Obi Toppin in this game looked to be the Knicks best player at times. And yet we saw them play zero minutes together because Tibbs doesn't deem Obi Toppin and Julius Randle to be an acceptable combination to put on the floor, despite the fact that they were without their top two centers in this game. And Taj Gibson at one point fouled out. It's just that sort of stuff is obscenely obtuse to me at this point. And it's like last year you could forgive it because they were winning and things were going well. This year it comes under the microscope and it's just it's beyond stupid. That, that that two-man combo has been, when they get their infinitesimally small chances to play together, they are one of the better two-man combos on the entire Knicks, and yet Tibbs just refuses to play them because reasons. Because 
he can't have, you know, 10 minutes a game without his precious rim protection, even when you don't really need it against certain teams and certain lineups. And it just, it's annoying to me. Right. And I guess I, I hate to start uh, another sentence this way, but in Tibbs' defense, uh, we saw what, what the Knicks defense looks like without those two rim protectors. And it's it's pretty disastrous against his defense. Those two guys were not available regardless tonight. So you might as well have gone with it because to your point, it has been a positive lineup in a very small sample size this year. And I think uh, I think Julius in some ways was actually probably the best matchup the Knicks had for Nikola Jokic. Um, but uh, all irrelevant now um, because the Knicks were blown out. Uh, we will come back and we will get into some of your questions because we, we don't particularly want to talk uh, really at all more about this game. So we'll, we'll get into some of your questions next. But first, I want to tell all of you guys about prize picks. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you need to try the award-winning app, Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy i love this and we know you will too you pick two to five players and an over under on their projections and you can win up to 10 times on any entry and just you versus the projected numbers entries can be made in 60 seconds or less it's that easy prize picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals you can use the award-winning app on both the app store and google play prize picks offers a variety of options you can they offer any prop you can think of from points scored to rebounds even steals PrizePix also allows mixed sports entries. So you could take the over on Joe Burrow passing touchdowns, maybe more Joe Burrow passing touchdowns than Emmanuel quickly made three-pointers. That, that, that's a good one, given how he's shooting recently. And PrizePix doesn't just offer NBA. They have options on college basketball, college football, NFL, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. So for a limited time, PrizePix has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. You get a $50 for free if a player in your first PrizePix entry scores a single point, but you must use code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Lockdown fans. Sign up today and use code NBA, $50 for free if a player in your prize picks entry scores a single point. All right, with that, uh, we are back on Locked On Knicks, and we wanted to remind all of you there's a big event in the in the Locked On it Locked Oniverse. Is that is that our official term? I'm going to call it that. Uh, thank you. The Locked On Cinematic Universe, maybe? <laughs> there we go. There we go. The NBA trade deadline is Thursday, February 10th at 3 p.m. You guys know that already. What you might not know is the Locked On NBA podcast will be covering it live from 2 to 4, so you can join Kim Becker, John Corrales, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball host extraordinaire Josh Lloyd to get analysis of every blockbuster move. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA YouTube today and turn your notifications on so you know when they go live. And Alex and I will have a fantastic chance to appear on that, presuming the next make a move. And I think everyone would, uh, would be raising the pitchforks if they don't make a move. Uh, but Alex, where are we going to start uh, in this, in this uh, impromptu mailbag edition of Locked on Knicks? Yeah, we, could, we got a number of pretty cool questions. First one, though, is more of a statement. So I'll just read it. And then we don't even have to react to it because we were even told not to. So uh, Rella1K at Rella1K says, no questions. All right, cool. Just wanted to say the Knicks play made the game hard to watch. Agreed. But the refs made it unwatchable. Also agreed. But it didn't matter. The nuggets were a lot better. Also, Brendan Brown gesturing while he talks at the press box looks like something from a scene in Goodfellas. I agree. I definitely, you know, it, it was unsurprising to see that he's a hand talker. Um, Gavin, does that change your opinion on Brendan Brown as Clyde's successor? I tweeted out that he looks like he looked kind of like a Batman villain tonight, um, which which <laughs> which actually makes me want him to be Clyde's successor more. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. So our our next question, and the one that will probably take up this whole segment. RJ Barrett Defense Brigade at Barrett Brigade 9. 
uh, asks, can you talk about how much you think RJ and Mitch are going to get paid this offseason? Um, Gavin, I'm going to just throw out two numbers real quick, and I'll just let you react to them. Uh, RJ Barrett, if this is, comes with the caveat of if he continues playing the way that he has for the last month and a half and does not hit like a mega slump to end the season, I think he gets offered a rookie max extension. And then, uh, which would kick in year after next, uh, would probably pay him 20, 26, 27 million to start, something like that. Um, I, I don't, maybe not quite that much because he didn't make an all star team or anything. Uh, I'm not 100% certain, to be completely honest. Uh, I'd have to look that up. I, I think it's, I think it's five years, 181 million is, yeah, yeah, high, high, like 20 salary to start and then. Pays him upwards of like 35, 36, 37, something like that by the end of the contract. Um, and then Mitch, I think, is going to get like roughly what Robert Williams got, which would be like four years in the realm of like $60 million. So about $15 million a season if he continues playing the way that he has uh, recently and, and can sustain that through the end of the season. I think that's probably the future for both of them. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think R.J. Barrett, uh, obviously he does not fall into the category of like a Luka Doncic or, or John ja Morant of like the, the no-brainer max extension. I would put him in the category of you don't want to mess around extension, max extension, which, which still results in the same amount of money. Um, maybe it leaves the team offering that deal a little bit more uneasy. I would feel Still a little bit uneasy giving R.J. Barrett that kind of money. I mean, we're, we're, we're coming off another night where despite, again, like nominally like a pretty good game for him, he shot uh, three for 13, started off one for 10 from two-point range. That continues to be a, a pretty significant issue um, for a guy whose bread and butter is, is nominally getting to the rim and, and finishing inside. That being said, that, that's, a, that's a capacity that he has certainly gotten a lot better in of late. Like, I mean, you, you look at the efficiency numbers for him. I, I think this was, this was a stat recently in a Macri newsletter. I'm not sure if he's still quite in this category, but this was as of like two or three days ago, he was, he's been in the top 18 in field goal attempts per game. I'm pretty sure was the stat over the last uh, two months since, since 2022 started. So a month and a half, I guess. Um, and of those 18 guys, 17 of them are current or former all-stars and he is 15th in field goal percentage, which doesn't sound great. But when you, you you give him that category of the highest volume shooters in the NBA, it sort of tracks that the fact that he's relatively efficient in that group is a very good sign. So anyways, all of that is a long-winded way to say, um, if I'm the Knicks, I'm not messing around. Whatever it takes to get RJ signed, you do it and you figure out the rest later. Mitchell Robinson, I think defensively, you could argue that um, he should get a little bit less than Robert Williams, given the relative inconsistency, though I, I guess maybe Time Lord has a bit of that too. But we, we've heard the rumors about the Detroit Pistons certainly being interested in him. They're the type of team that is hungry to acquire young talent, not a free agency destination. They could drive up the price. Given that, I think uh, with the same caveat you said on RJ, if Mitch continues to play how he's been playing recently, I'd be more than happy to give him that deal. Yeah, I, so to get back to your RJ point, like I, I agree. I, I don't think it's a no-brainer. You know, it's not like... it. it to your point, it's not like a Doncic or Morant or, um, you know, whoever else you want to pick that really, really shows out on their their rookie deal. Trey Young, you know, for example, like that's as much as I hate to admit it, no brainer to give him a max. Um, uh, that said, I do think that he's trending in the direction where, like you said, you don't want to screw around. You don't want to like put yourself in a position where you're saying, okay, do we want to do we want to do the damage? of not giving him this extension 
and not showing this faith in him because you know that there's there's something to be said for the political aspect of it where if you don't offer that to him he's playing with a chip on his shoulder all year he might try to hit free agency and and get out of new york somehow you know to to finagle his way out as much control as you have over a restricted free agent you know you don't want to be signing a guy to that that contract and then matching it with like malice attached to it you know not in today's nba like today's nba you know uh, uh, we'll mention this in a minute but like our pod with Lauren Gunn uh, from Mavs Moneyball, she mentioned like a million times, she's totally right. Uh, the NBA is about relationships now, you know, and Leon Rose is a relationships guy. He's not going to make it seem as if he's not taking care of a guy. And, you know, both for keeping that guy happy and for keeping his perception around the league happy, you know, which we sort of saw with like the Burks contract and Noel contract. Like he took care of those guys because they put up a good year for him. RJ Barrett is starting to look like he's turning a corner uh, injury pending, obviously, uh, which we'll see as the, you know, as we get a report on that, but like, you know, he's, I think he's proven enough to get that rookie max deal. And I think that if you look at it in terms of how, what the value will be going forward, I don't think you have to look any further than like De'Aaron Fox, for example, who the Knicks were just recently tied to obviously with today's news does not seem like Fox is going anywhere. Although I saw another thing saying that like someone thinks that the Kings, this was just like move number one. So maybe move number two is just completely blow everything up and trade away both of their, uh, you know, both of their promising young guards. But the fact that Fox has the sort of perceived value around the NBA that he does, despite being on all losing teams at this point in his career, advanced metrics don't totally love him. He has not progressed as a three-point shooter. And in fact, it's gotten worse. But the fact that he's still like young on paper, laden with potential and still has a number of NBA skills, he would still be desirable on that rookie max extension, uh, regardless of, of, you know, the many shortcomings that have been in his career so far. So I, I think that principle applies to RJ and why I would give him the deal still. Um, as far as Mitch, I'm with you too. I, you know, I just think, I, I do think that the defensive differences between him and like Robert Williams are a little more negligible recently. Um, Cause I, I think that Mitch has just been, you know, he's not maybe getting the raw block numbers that uh, Williams gets like on a nightly basis. But I think that Mitch has learned sort of a smarter brand of ball to where he's not getting in foul trouble nearly as much anymore. And that's resulted in less blocks, but more just sheer intimidation around the rim where he kind of picks his spots better as far as when to go for the block versus when to just stand there and be tall and scare somebody away. Um, and so I think that his defense has really progressed that way. To your, uh, another to another one of your points earlier, you know, this game against the Nuggets was like proof positive of just how important Mitch is to this team's defense. And I don't know if I'd be quite ready for a world without him at this point, uh, as far as watchability goes for our sake and for everybody's sake watching and listening to this. So I, I think that I'm fully on board with the whole like $60 million thing. Uh, and maybe even a smidge more, if I'm being completely honest, I would take them up to maybe 16 million annually a season, you know, average annual value over the contract, throw them an extra like 4 million a season or sorry, million or two a season, something like that. Um, at any rate, we still have some, some more questions to get to here. Like next, when we talk about what Mike Miller might've done with this team, but I just wanted to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by built bar. And this is the time of year where 
you know, I and maybe you have pretty much given up on your New Year's resolutions, but not this year. This year will be different. I'm sticking with my resolution to eat right, thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I really enjoy eating Built Bars after a good workout. Have you tried the Puffs too? If you haven't, you're missing out. They are one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. That's right. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors like yummy cinnamony churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're all so good. They are going to be your new favorite if you try them too. And on top of it, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, including Puffs. 100% real chocolate. Plus, unlike those other sugary, fatty, whatever candy bars that you might enjoy, Built Bars are low-calorie and high-protein. You could replace your candy bars with these. They're better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories and have all kinds of bad stuff loaded in. Most Built Bars have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, and a whopping 17 grams of protein to help you recover after your workout. Compare that to a candy bar, it's no contest. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to Built.com. And use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. And we are back. And Gavin, I'm going to read this question and throw it right to you because I'm really intrigued to hear your answer. I'm really intrigued to hear my answer. I'm not even sure what I'm going to say yet. I think I need to hear you answer first. Uh, Ignacio at Ignacio Lobregat on Twitter asks us, what do you think Mike Miller would have been able to do with this squad? Gavin, your answer. Wow. Uh, no clue is, is, is the real answer. Um, I mean, I thought we, we were both fans of his. Like, I, I wouldn't have flipped out if he if he had ultimately gotten the next job uh, to, wow, yeah, a year and a half ago now, I guess. I mean, two years ago with, with the offseason. Uh, it feels like longer because of COVID, but he, he was fantastic the second half of that year taking – um, the, the wreckage that David Fisdale left and, and turning it into like uh, a somewhat coherent team that maximized their output. Like it, it's easy to forget now, but he, to some extent, I think laid the groundwork for some of Julius Randall's improvement, like figuring out ways to maximize him when David Fisdale just sort of like said, all right, Julius, what do you, what do you do worst? Do that the most, um, which wasn't great. Um, I mean, Tibbs unfortunately borrowed that strategy at points this year. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think the Knicks would, Whew, um, I'm, I'm going to say maybe like two wins better with Mike Miller. Like I, I think he's, he's a guy that I, again, me, me being a, a, not a basketball genius. It's hard for me to, to like either put this out there or not put this out there. I wouldn't by NBA coaching standards, call him a basketball genius. I would call him someone who's very solid, ran good stuff. And unlike Tibbs, at least to me in a small sample size felt extremely adaptable uh, which I think would have been good with this roster. And I think rotationally we would see some big changes. I, I, I think this team probably would not be as good defensively as they've been overall this year with Mike Miller instead of tips. Yeah, I think my short answer, I don't know that they necessarily would have gotten to as high of heights as last year. You know what I mean? Like like if you put him as the coach of last year's team. I don't yeah, know I, I definitely agree with that. I think they got that like new coach bump last year that like buy-in bump, you know, like the, oh, let's do it for Tibbs bump, you know, that sort of thing. And things were novel last year. They were new. You know, Julius Randle was sort of playing in a contract year and, you know, was really eager to show off all these things that he had worked on. And, you know, it was just sort of like a perfect storm last year that I don't know if it necessarily would have taken hold with Mike Miller, who is like a less, less uh, 
big personality of a coach. You know what I mean? So I don't think would have necessarily commanded that like huge turnaround style of team uh, that we saw last year. That said, I think this year, like if you had brought Mike Miller in last year and he coached like a roughly 500 team, which I think is about where the Knicks would have ended up last year. You know, I think he would probably still have them at about 500 this year, because to your point, I think he would be more willing to be adaptable. I think he'd be more willing to play the young players. I mean, he was a guy that I always really admired for the work that he did with the the Knicks G League team and how well, I mean, they had a really great farm system under him. And I mean, it's no offense to the staff there now and, and everything that they've been doing with giving Deuce McBride a perfect showcase to have, you know, uh, jaw-dropping triple doubles with like 40 points and 15 boards and 25 assists or whatever. But like he was churning out NBA talent left and right when he was head coach at Westchester. I mean, he definitely knew how to maximize guys, how to, you know, develop young talent and even older young talent. You know what I mean? Like like resurrecting Trey Burke's career, for example, who still has a job in the NBA today, probably in large part due to Mike Miller. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I... I think that I I think this year they might actually be a little bit better. I think that ultimately Mike Miller would unfortunately like as far as the his standing in the organization, you know, would be more likely to be potentially fired on a spot on the spot because he just doesn't have that like big name unimpeachability in some ways of Tibbs plus that relationship with Leon Rose and everything else that Tibbs brought to the table. But that said, I mean, that might not have even been a bad thing because if he just kind of guided this team to 500 records for two to three years and developed the young talent nicely until they were ready to take a leap, then it would have been a lot easier to just say, you know what, Mike, like you've done a great job, but we're going to move to a, a bigger batter head coach. You know what I mean? Like a batter in a good way, obviously like a guy who's going to take us to the next level. Uh, whereas with Tibbs, I feel like that process is going to be, I don't know if it'll necessarily be super messy or anything, but it'll certainly be a lot harder decision for the front office. Thanks to all the ties and Tibbs is standing in the league and all that good stuff. So I think that's kind of where I'm at with Miller. I, I think it maybe would have been more consistent mediocrity rather than this like spike last year. And this pretty precipitous drop off this year. I think there would have just been a more common baseline and maybe a guy that was a little easier to eventually replace down the line for someone a, a little bigger, a little brighter, you know, so more of like a, a no brainer uh, coach to bring in that became available or, or a, a, a assistant that was, you know, really making a big case, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I think we could probably, uh, Gavin, unless you have anything else to add, I, actually, I'll just throw it to you. If you have anything else to add, go for it. But otherwise, feel free to read us into our next question here. Yeah, sure. Um, all right, let's let's go to uh, the one from David at D Goodman True Blue. He, he wants to know how high can we get in the lottery? Can we reach up to four or five instead of ten? Uh, Alex, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the only place that the Knicks can't touch is top three in lotto odds because if you're looking at Tankathon, Houston fifteen and thirty nine, uh, Orlando thirteen and forty three. Okay, which is I don't know why. Oh, I, I just ran a simulation. Duh. I was like, why is Houston ahead of them? Anyway, sorry. You've got Orlando at 13 and 43, Detroit at 12 and 42, Houston at 15 and 39. I, I take it back. Maybe top four is, is untouchable because then OKC at 17 and 36. But then, I mean, the Knicks are 24 and 31. Indiana's 19 and 37 at number five. The Knicks have a really hard schedule coming up and they're 
I mean, they've lost 10 out of their last 12 games, and I don't see that bleeding stopping anytime soon, particularly if they smartly sell off some vets at the deadline in a couple of days. So I think they could potentially get as high as like five or six. If I was a betting man, I would bet you that the Knicks end up with the seventh best lottery odds uh, after the season is over. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I have a feeling they'll be briefly v- reinvigorated, um, assuming Kemba Walker is dealt and maybe one of Alec Burks or Evan Fournier. Like, I, I think getting Deuce McBride back in the rotation will it will lead to some highs and some games like where he's playing exceptionally well and really bringing it defensively. And this team gets a little bit of rest under their belt. And 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 again, if this is the Julius Randle we get the rest of the year, and that's look, we haven't we haven't even talked about his game because we, we just wanted to avoid everything to do with this game but he was spectacular again the only reason he didn't get to 30 is because this game wasn't really a game in the fourth quarter but coming off two straight 30 point games 28 10 6 3 steals 11 to 22 from the field three for eight from three three for four from the foul line um i thought he played basically perfect basketball in the first quarter like hit, hitting shots making every right decision continuing to play with pace like if that's the julius randall the Knicks get the rest of the year They'll win some games they're not supposed to against some of these teams. I, I think, again, you, you deal the right guys, a.k.a. Kemba. Like, this team will recapture some of the vigor and intensity and, and feel-good vibes of last season. So I'm I'm maybe slightly more optimistic or, in regards to this question, pessimistic in terms of how they finish. But somewhere right around that, like, 8, 9, 10 range feels feels really good to me as well. And and this schedule is, is certainly, no matter how good they feel, no matter how much the last year's vibes they recapture, the schedule is going to kick their butt uh, to some extent or another. All right, let, let's finish up on this, Alex, from Argentum Spectrum at Argentum Spectre 1. What are some unbeatable dunk ideas for Obi's upcoming dunk contest appearance? He has to win this one for the future of Knicks basketball. <laughs> Man, uh, well, if last year was any indication, the future of Knicks basketball is screwed because it's going to be rigged again. Um, actually, I really do think that Obi might have a better chance of winning this year because I think that the judges know that he got kind of a job last year in that contest because Obi definitely should have won. Uh, I'm trying to think of one that I mean, he's really made the he's made the through the legs dunk his own this year by busting it out at least twice in game, maybe a third that I'm forgetting, but. The one on Christmas, I mean, that like brought the house down. Um, I, I almost though, I almost want him to think of something really clever to do with that awesome double pump dunk that he does in games all the time. Now, I'm trying to think what it would be though, like grabbing the ball off of someone or jumping over someone and grabbing it out of their hands and then doing the double pump and throwing it down. It's very easy for me to think about these things as if it's like super easy and that it wouldn't involve Obi literally jumping over another human being and grabbing a ball and then double pumping it and dunking it. Um, I, I, this is what I think would be pretty, pretty unbeatable. If Obi took off, like there's no way he could pull this off from the free throw line. He doesn't have hops that good, but like if he could take off like a little inside the three point line, have someone, did you, did you say the three point line? I'm sorry. The th- it's free a, throw no, line. It's a, no, it's ambitious. I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah, super. Sorry. Wrong line. Wrong line. Free throw line. Take off slightly inside the free throw line. Have someone standing on like the restricted area circle with a ball over their head. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think like what the limit of how tall I would pick would be. Maybe like, you know, at, okay. Okay. Here it is. Here it is. This is the Knicks fan special. He has Tibbs. Oh, wow. Stand in the restricted area circle with the ball like this. He grabs it from over his head, does a double pump, and dunks it after jumping over him and literally dunks on Tibbs for not playing him all year. 
Uh, I think that's that's a 50. That's easy symbolically yeah. and artistically. That's a 50. It's the, it's the emotional catharsis that this team needs. Um, I don't know why. When reading this question, I got uh, I got Buzz Lightyear vibes. I think like the, for the future of Knicks basketball is real. Like this Buzz Buzz Lightyear always operates on extremes, right? So I, I think maybe he takes a sponsorship from the upcoming animated movie led by Chris Evans. He throws on the wings. He throws on the helmet. He takes off from the free throw line. Defies gravity. He gets gets very lightweight versions of those items and and, and jams it. I, I think. I think the judges are they're, they're suckers for a prop, right? And that that to me would be uh, maybe maybe it limits what you could do, but something along those lines would just be a fantastic prop. And, and the NBA does love capitalism, so maybe have them jump over a Kia too. Then that'll yeah. really hammer it home. The Blake Griffin go. special. <laughs> All right. On on that happy note, uh, we are going to wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Happy we could have some fun with you guys on, on what was not a very fun game. Uh, we will be back uh, again for, for all your trade line trade deadline coverage on Thursday. If the Knicks make a move, uh, keep it tuned to Locked On Knicks. We're, we're, we're discussing and trying to figure out a way we can maybe go live if that happens. But at the very least, we will have an episode for you. If there is a trade, we will likely have an episode for you. Even if there isn't one, just reacting to the day in general. So until then, for Alex, I'm Gavin Shaw. Peace out.